This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. everyone, and welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shenko. And I'm Psych88. And today's film falls just short of what I would consider the middle ground. And there are worse places to be than the middle ground. And I think we're here. I, I, I disagree. I think we're just slightly above middle ground. Um, I don't believe we're watching a Captain America film, though. Yeah, so I think that's part of why this movie rubs me the wrong way, because they they wrapped up an Avengers movie in Captain America wrapping paper when I showed up to the theater wanting a Captain America movie. You can have the Avengers, but you can't fool me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, this really is a Cap film in name only, uh, because you just got too many, you've got too much Avengers Character growth, character decisions, and overall setup into the like larger uh, MCU grand plan for this to be a Cap movie that focuses directly on Captain America and his relationships. They tried, they tried, but they I, they just didn't hit that mark. Yeah, there's some awkwardness that I want to discuss here shortly, but uh, to dive right in with this one, I think we should give our little spoiler warning. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. Thanks, Jen. As always, we love having you on. Absolutely. Thank you, Jen. Always good to hear from you. So to dive right in with Civil War, which, as this film is a Captain American movie in name only, this is a Civil War adaptation in name only, and we're going to talk about the specifics of the creative liberties that were taken with this film for certain when we get to the second part of the show and Psych can deep dive into our comic history, but... Oh, yeah. Where do we start? <laughs> okay, so we started noticing this earlier on, right? But then I was really starting to, like, pay attention, and I realized that, no, this is just true of a Marvel formula. We do a flashback, and then we move to the present, and we tell the story. And then we'll do so some stuff in the credits... And that's it. That is the Marvel formula. Flashback, story, end credit scenes. That's it. Yeah, and this this flashback is not a very good one. Ooh, this one's dark. It's very dark. This is a darker corner than we have seen an MCU film go in quite a while, I have to say. Uh, yeah, like, normally I don't have a problem with the kids watching a Marvel film with me, but this one, I was starting to be like, mm, I think I made a mistake. Uh, kids, can you can you go real quick? Cause, cause woo, uh, we open with Bucky just blowing up a car with people in it on screen. Like, uh. Yeah, and in that car is a case of super soldier serum, and someone is going to have some nefarious, uh, nefarious wishes with that serum. Uh huh. But back in the present day, because we always go to the past and then jump back forward into what's going on where are we we're chasing down the bad guys the avengers team has saved the world from ultron and are now in lagos chasing down you guessed it my favorite guy brock rumlow crossbones and marvel can we talk what's your deal can we can we just chat about what you've done to my boy we're going to get to all of my disappointment very shortly because leading up to my disappointment was actually kind of a pretty cool urban chase scene. We get to see a lot of the Avengers showcasing their skills in the urban environment, finding these very tactical soldiers and fighting their way through a biochem lab to hopefully stop Crossbones from getting this bioweapon, but 
they don't succeed. Yeah, not not very well, at least. Mm-mm. So, you know, movie and action scene commences. The Avengers fight through the streets. We get to see the team working together. And then, uh, if you go back to our December episode where I covered fight scenes, I talked in depth about the Crossbones fight scene here where our guy, Brock Rumlow, played by Frank Grillo, showcases his amazing boxing skills against Captain America. And then, before becoming the bomb, Crossbones drops a bomb. (laughs) So he says the name that can make Steve Rogers freeze in place. He says, Bucky. And Cap pulls his punches and lets him keep talking, and that gives Crossbones just enough time to distract him from, you guessed it, the bomb strapped to his chest. And just before he can explode in the middle of the square, he is enveloped in red energy and lifted into the air by Wanda Maximoff, but unfortunately, when in the heat of battle and trying to contain a literal massive explosion and a supervillain that was about to blow up your leader, kind of accidentally, kind of accidentally, like, throws him and blows up the building subsequently, causing mass hysteria, chaos, and an outcry for some kind of regulation on superheroes. And I gotta say, the amount of blame that they put on Wanda for this feels disproportionate. Um, It feels like they're getting away with blaming her so much because she's a woman. Because, I mean, come on, you, you had Captain America right there. You've got a man who has decided that uh, suicide by bomb is the way to go out. And he's going to take as many people with, with him as he can. It wasn't a good situation any way you slice it. And I, I think, too, and what is difficult and what I feel like could have been handled a little bit better is you have Wanda, right? She's young, she's a woman, she is foreign, and she's now being villainized because of an accident that was gonna happen regardless. It just really sucks that her interference maybe made it worse, but you can't know that. Yeah, it feels a lot like all the talking heads. They're playing like couchside quarterback. They're, they, they get to second guess the decision made in the heat of, in the heat of battle at the time. Mm-hmm. Which is always a fa- fantastic place to be. So anyway, yeah, my guy, my guy Crossbones is now deceased. He's he is goo on the inside of that building. He is gone. And oh yeah, I'm disappointed because Marvel always does this to me. They give us a villain or a character who's maybe not the main thread, but certainly was worth more than wasting over Wow Factor. Yeah, that's true. I was disappointed, because Crossbones, while maintaining a solid B status as a villain, is still a B status recurring villain in the Captain America storyline, and someone who was important to Civil War in the comic. Yeah, a lot more important than he is here. Yeah, but we'll get to that. We're gonna see yet another familiar face in the form of one Thunderbolt Ross. Oh. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Sight. This man should not have a job. This, he, no president should have looked at General Ross's uh, packet and said, yeah, I want to appoint him to my Secretary of State. No Congress should have allowed his confirmation to go through. There is nothing in this man's file that qualifies him to be a freaking cashier at Walmart, much less in charge of State security. Nothing. Yeah, he, he did a great job with the Hulk situation. You know, firing on a school that your daughter is inside is really a great way to fill out the resume for Secretary of State. Oh, fantastic. This man should be doing time in freaking Leavenworth. Not sitting in Avengers Compound and showing them the highlights of their disastrous saves. Which, by the way, how on earth are we holding the Avengers responsible for the Battle of New York City. That was an alien invasion. Yeah, and let's not forget that that S.H.I.E.L.D. wanted to launch a nuclear warhead at New York City instead of allowing the Avengers to handle the situation. I fail to Mm -hmm. see how buildings falling on several hundred civilians, while the injuries and the, the chaos was terrible and the damage was horrible, I think 
and and you know maybe the whole city of New York would disagree with me, but I think having the Avengers kind of wreak havoc on your city is way better than just being obliterated off the face of the planet. But again, you know, I could be wrong. The sewer rats would rise again. <laughs> right? And oh, yeah, like, yes, the helicarriers went down over Washington, D.C., and they did unspeakable amounts of damage. But how is that uh, the Avengers' fault? Hydra was going to use those helicarriers to snipe people from across the world. Yeah, and, you know, when this movie came out, um, I was judging my friends based on whose side they picked. <laughs> As most fans did. Because if you can look me in the face and say that Tony was right to sign the Accords based on the track record of the Avengers, I don't trust you anymore. They did a much better job here of at least explaining Stark's reasoning for doing it, is what I will say. Uh I, I'm not on Stark's side on this, but I I will say that he comes at it from a much more humanitarian um, perspective than his 616 counterpart could ever hope to manage. We're, we'll discuss that in the second part, but yeah, because we, we do we do miss a scene where Stark is met with the mother of one of the deceased from Sokovia and and all that. So like they do a real good job of trying to exploit his his grief uh, at his failed, his failed armor initiative for the world, killing people. Because uh, that's ultimately what he, he wants his own oversight is where I really think it comes down to. He knows on some intuitive level, he can't be stopped when he puts his mind to a certain project or something. He's going to build it. He's going to make it. But maybe there should be someone above him who could, theoretically rein him in but his entire life has been not reining him in so the it's flawed logic but it's the kind of logic you make when your when your grief overrides your logic capabilities basically mm -hmm. but yeah you've got ross just just hamming it up telling the avengers that yeah now you now i own you finally because really all he really wants is the Hulk. That's that is his whole purpose in life is to control that gamma rage monster. So he's hoping, I'm thinking, that in controlling the Avengers, he gets the Hulk finally. Yeah, but uh, shockingly absent from the table is one Bruce Banner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's kind of living it up someplace else right now. Mm -hmm. As well as Thor, and we'll talk about them when we get to them. But uh, meanwhile, our our little bad guy, Baron Zemo. Yeah, he's tracked down an old Hydra handler. And I think this is one of those scenes that you were talking about that makes it a little hard to watch with the kids. Uh-huh. Because after faking that he's hit the guy's car, or rather he did hit the guy's car just to be able to break into his house <laughs> and torture him for information that he wants, uh, he... Yeah is able to uncover the book containing Bucky's brainwashing code words, as well as old Hydra information, and then goes on to do with that information what he will. And we'll see the fruits of that labor very shortly. The Accords are going to get signed, and lines have been drawn throughout the team over who's going to sign and who's not going to sign, and... I think Cap was more than a little surprised to see his good friend Natasha in line to sign the Accords after the events of Winter Soldier. Yeah, I I think and she delivers that news after right after he finds out that Peggy had died, and he he just gone to her uh, funeral. <laughs> little tidbit of like like watching that scene of him being a pallbearer. You had him up front, and he's carrying it perfectly fine. The guy behind him is struggling so hard. I'm just like, you know, you guys could have just had Steve do the whole thing. And he'd have done it. Hands down, without a question, he'd have done it. But, yeah, I thought that was a little... It was a little amusing, even for, for a funeral scene especially, to do something like that. But, yeah. So, he's he's just lost the love of his life, and now his best friend basically or at least one of them is telling him yeah i'm siding with the rich billionaire 
on this one. Sorry. Yeah, that's gotta be that's gotta be more than a little tough to watch all of your friends going off and disagreeing with you. And he isn't gonna sign, obviously, and of course that will now start the witch hunt for the Avengers who are not going to sign the Sokovia Accords. But during the signing, there are all these political speeches and a big UN conference. And if a bombing was not the trope that you signed up for, you're gonna be disappointed because we're gonna get another one. And a bomb goes off, killing King T'Chaka of Wakanda. And security footage reveals, dun dun dun, that our Winter Soldier is at large for the crime. Supposedly. Right. Because you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, how does it, how is it that a master espionage assassin get made by a parking garage security camera? Like, are you kidding me? He lets that one slip by? Yeah, it's not like he's been successfully on the run for months now at this point. Years. Decades. Yeah. They couldn't find him for nearly 60 or 70 years between World War II and now. But now suddenly, a German uh, parking garage camera picks him up? Come on. Like, Cap should have been all kinds of uh, red flag all over that. So should have Black Widow, to be honest. But no, we have m movie shenanigans to get to, and our characters have to be kind of stupid sometimes. Mm -hmm. This is one of those instances. So enraged and angered over the murder of his father, T'Challa vows to kill the Winter Soldier. Yeah! Mm-hmm. Uh, Bucky is being protected a little bit by Sharon Carter, who tips Cap off of the location of Barnes and the fact that the authorities intend to kill him on sight. Our guy Steve shows up at Bucky's apartment, and Bucky punches a hole through the floor and takes off. Steve does his best to keep his friend from killing all of the security, and hilariously kind of goes, Really, dude? After Bucky almost throws a guy down a flight of stairs and kills him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like... Even Bucky had said, I'm not going to kill anybody. And then he, like, not 10 seconds later, is tossing a guy 13 stories down a stairwell. And it's like, dude, you told me you weren't going to kill anybody. And for the most part, he doesn't. But this chase does end eventually uh, with a standoff in the middle of a highway between himself, Cap, and Black Panther, who's joined in on the fray. And... Finally, coming into play Sheriff is War Machine. And he is disappointed in Cap. Yeah, it's like... It's, Wait. It's like that, I'm not upset. I'm just disappointed. And he practically spits that line at him. Also, I want to know now how secure government agencies who somehow possess the technology to pick up the Winter Soldier on camera would let the fact that our guy Zemo is impersonating the psychiatrist sent to interview Barnes. Don't you think that they might have a photo ID of the guy, the specialist that they're bringing in to talk to the dangerous war criminal that just committed like an international crime? Don't you think that they would know and, and they would say, oh, you know, this is a really well-known doctor. He's a psychiatrist with all these accolades and he's the best in his field. Like, I think we might know what that guy looks like. And not just let this guy, like, you know, maybe he's just so dashing and so charming that they just let him go. But... I guess. Uh, yeah, so during the fake interview, Zemo pulls out all of those little code words. And it sends the Winter Soldier into a rampage. And he uses him in order to escape the compound. And luckily, Steve is able to step in and apprehend. Barnes, and when Barnes is finally back in control of himself, he explains that he was not the one who committed the Vienna bombing, and it was in fact Zemo, because, you know, we didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah, no. Not at all. So, Steve asks him what Zemo wanted, and all Zemo wanted was the location of a Siberian Hydra base, and Bucky reveals to them that at this base are a bunch of other 
quote-unquote winter soldiers in cryogenic stasis. And if Zemo frees them, he would be unstoppable because these soldiers are evidently stronger, faster, smarter, everything than Bucky. There are There's a scene where we see Bucky getting thrown around by these new, improved winter soldiers. So they're all wearing the brown pants. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're... They're like, okay, well, we can't go to Stark and the rest of them because they're not going to believe us, so what What can we do? And Sam's like, you know what? I know a guy. <laughs> and cue the recruitment scenes. So yeah, uh, Sam and Steve go rogue, and they end up recruiting Wanda because they pretty much, um, she, she's been confined to the Avengers compound. And who breaks her out? Our guy Hawkeye, who did not enjoy retirement or house arrest. No, his his was proper retirement. He retired to go be with his kids and his family because apparently he's the one who gets to have the family life. I which is great. So. I love that, actually. But when Cap's like, hey, look, end of the world's happening and you're someone I trust. You pick up your bow and your quiver and you go get the scary woman out of Avengers Compound. Because... Cap asked. Mm-hmm. And he does a great job. <laughs> yeah, he does. Wanda does one heck of a job renovating the floor plan. <laughs> Poor Vision. He just wanted to cook for her. <laughs> they were doing such a great job setting up their relationship. Like, heck, it's even better than the comics that have been, you know, the inspiration for this entire thing. Um, I, I, did, I love the line from earlier where he's like, uh, they are involuntarily scared of you because, you know, amygdalas and everything. And she's like, well, why aren't you? And he's like, mine is synthetic. So, like, it was just, it was really nice. It was really good. And watching her turn his density all the way up and then just push him through God knows how many floors of Avengers compound so that they can make their escape. That was, it was a little heartbreaking. I mean, it was designed to be heartbreaking, but, you know, that's the point. Mm-hmm. And now... They all show up at the parking garage so that Sharon can give them their weapons. And, you know, Clint rolls up with the the van and Ant-Man. And uh, Steve gets a little friendly with Peggy's niece, which is a whole (laughs) mess we're going to talk about. Look, it's for real. Like, I know. It's icky! (laughs) It's... They could have done a much better job setting up his relationship with Sharon to make it less icky. But then they did the thing that they did in later films and it's super icky. Anyway, but unfortunately, the team gets stopped in Germany by the opposing team of Avengers. Because Cap was recruiting, so was Stark. He had kind of a blessing from Ross. But how do you stop the Avengers other than throwing more Avengers at them? So, of course, we've got Iron Man, War Machine, Black Widow, and Tony does the most responsible thing ever and recruits a whole teenager. (laughs) One whole teenager. Oh, my God. I mean, he recruits an amazing teenager. Oh, yeah. But yeah, one whole teenager and hits on his aunt in, in the meantime, too. Uh, oh yeah, and T'Challa's there because he wants to kill the Winter Soldier. Um, Natasha also recruited him. Like they were discussing it, and she's like, "Mine's downstairs," and the, and she asks him where where his idea is, and he just gives her this look. And then we flash over to Queens, New York City, and it's like, "Oh my God!" I remember the first time when you know they you know the, the trailer and all of that like setting it all up so being able to see that in the movie that first time was like okay we get spider-man wow he's a he's young he's in high school tony this is not responsible T- tony stop <laughs> we wouldn't have these movies to talk about if everyone wasn't constantly saying tony stop and and tony would turn around and then say tony yes <laughs> Tony, no. Tony, yes. Yeah. I, like, again, this whole thing keeps going because Stark can't tell himself no. He thinks he's in the right to follow through on his grief on on failure, on the uh, the failure of the Ultron initiative. 
So, yeah, he signs the accords, and he's like, why aren't the rest of you falling in line? I'm in the right here. Anyway, so we get one big airport fight, which is, like, a, it was just funny as heck to watch. They did a very good job of combining the comedic elements of the absurdity of all of it with the very serious nature of several of these people are good friends and brothers and sisters in arms and they are fighting not necessarily to the death but they are fighting amongst themselves in a way that is um property destruction levels of bad i i so loved the bit where they're running through the hallway sam and bucky and spider-man is is chasing them and at the end of that sequence Bucky and Sam are laying on the ground all broken and pissed off that they've been beaten by a quippy teenager. And uh, Sam uses his drone to, to stop Spider-Man and Bucky goes, you couldn't have started with that? And he goes, man, I hate you. <laughs> Best friends forever. They're like, listen, we are the adjacent friends. We are only somewhat associated with one another because we're both friends with this this weird blonde guy who keeps getting into trouble yeah like it does feel like throughout the movie uh sam had something to prove like he needed to be better than cap's old best friend he was cap's new best friend i go in beside cap because i've been there from the moment that cap needed just a guy at the right place at the right time it's always kind of felt like he needed to like live up to that standard almost. Mm -hmm. Definitely, he he had he was faced right in that moment, right in his face with this is Cap's old old buddy, his war buddy, his Howling Commando, his best friend, who he thought he lost and is now back, and he has fought so hard to get back, and he's I think feeling a little replaced. A little. I mean, Cap is literally tearing apart the Avengers to keep Bucky from being put on the public's executioner's block. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of friendship we all wish we had. Yeah, what I'm hearing is I need to become best friends with Captain America because that is loyalty unlike anything else. But ultimately, the airport fight kind of ends with the Avengers who are helping Steve and Bucky getting arrested and Steve and Bucky making their escape. And, of course, Natasha gets the double agent reputation back because she stops T'Challa from stopping them. And Tony has feelings about it. Well, yeah, he's got feelings because in the escape, his best friend got hurt badly. Rhodes took a shot from Vision on accident, cut off his arc reactor supply to his suit. He was... He was dead in the air. Mm -hmm. He was in a free fall. Sam tried his best. Sam tried his best, but he had to pull out of the dive before he, too, hit the ground. Stark was too far ahead. He couldn't He couldn't come back in time. So, like, you had this brilliant, like, shot of uh, War Machine's dead center as he's falling. And you got the V formation happening between uh, Falcon and Iron Man. And then you hit the ground. And you realize that there, there was no intercepting him. He was, he was, that was it. And he thuds into it. He's lucky to be alive. That suit definitely saved his life, but he is paralyzed now. Yeah. And so when uh, Romanoff tries to kind of saunter back into it, thinking, well, the only person who saw me turn on the team was Black Panther, so I should be fine. And, and Stark's not having it. And he's like, no, Ross knows you're, you're in the wind. Get out. And she, she makes a run for it, because that's the only thing she can do. Mm -hmm. But then, that other shoe drops. Yeah, there's a nice little news report playing, and a little cybernetic mask approximating the appearance of James Buchanan Barnes was found, along with the corpse of the actual psychiatrist who was supposed to uh, evaluate Barnes, because it only took the hotel several days to find the, the body. Zemo was posing for a while. Yeah. Yeah, his, his little uh, room service gal comes up to bring him his breakfast, discovers the dead body and all the other evidence, so Stark now knows that Bucky's been framed for the bombing and doesn't quite tell Ross what's going on. 
No, because he has to go in and eat crow. We get to see for the first time the uh, supervillain prison, The Raft, uh, which is a island-based prison out in the middle of the ocean. And we see our heroes treated as supervillain criminals. And they are in these cells. And, oh man, Clint lays into him. Like, man, what do you think was going to happen when you when you tossed us in uh tossed us in as criminals um but he managed stark manages to get wilson to believe like okay look i was wrong and i want to help you now you gotta tell me where rogers was going and so wilson caves and tells him the information but he's gotta go alone and he's gotta go as a friend yeah gets derailed pretty quick they reach Siberia, Steve and Bucky, and as they're making their way through the compound, they discover that the super soldiers that are contained at that facility have all been killed. And Tony meets up with them, and, and he explains that he understands that, that Bucky didn't commit the crime. And this is kind of where our happenstance, our movie shenanigans come in, because now Zemo's going to explain to us his master plan yeah this jigsaw like plan of his which we will discuss after we're done with this analysis but yeah he has the security footage that for whatever reason the winter soldier didn't take care of back in 1991 um and because apparently the area that he decided to kill the starks in had a security system set up just at that point at that right place in time to capture the whole thing in 1991 it has audio with it in 1991 amazing clear can't be construed for anything else audio in 1991 i digress we reveal that the winter soldier not only caused the accident but both starks had survived the accident and he brutally murders them to get what to, to get the super soldier blood and somehow for some reason Rogers knew. I've I've never understood when, where, or why uh, Cap knew that information, where he learned it, or any of it. But Stark makes him tell him that he knew it, and then all hell breaks loose. Because remember how I said uh, in the last episode where you have a child's rage and pain that helped Quill break the control that Ego had on him. Now load that into basically uh an alcoholic 40 year old man who uh had also massive amounts of regret over the last time he spoke to his parents he tries to murder both of them basically yeah logic is out the window and he's throwing punches wild and he eventually asks his ai for analysis on cap but Cap's too good for him. He's changing up his style and his attacks way too much for Tony to keep up with. And one of the things that I always liked about Captain America as a character was that on top of the super soldier enhancements, he was also considered one of the best hand-to-hand -hand combatants and the best tacticians in Marvel Comics. And we get to see that very clearly here where even high-tech technology cannot keep up with Captain America's skill in combat. Eventually, Tony does get in a few hits of his own. He ends up destroying Bucky's arm, which that was that was hard to see, too. Because you could... Uh -huh. I mean, that just looked painful. The way he was leaned up against that wall with his arm blasted off. Steve ends up disabling Tony's armor, and he's going to take the shield with him, but, his, but Tony goes, you know, my dad made that shield. You know, you don't deserve that shield. And Steve leaves it behind. Yeah, and in a way, he but in doing so, he's leaving the mantle of Captain America behind. Like, um, and that fight is—I mean, that fight is just freaking brutal. Um, and then you got overlaid with it outside. Zemo is sitting there, and Black Panther, who had secretly been following since uh, the German airport incident, um, he catches up with Zemo, and we find out. That, you know, Zemo lost his family in the Sokovia incident um, because the city, when it fell apart, parts of it fell on, you know, the outskirts naturally. And it took him days to get his family out. 
and he reveals that he did all of this to have the Avengers destroy themselves from the inside. And uh, you've got Black Panther with his whole, like, vengeance has consumed you, and it's consuming them, and I'm not going to let it consume me anymore. And he does not kill Zemo. And he, in fact, stopped Zemo from taking his own life. So we get, like, this real interesting uh, redemption part there of realizing that we are all human, we all make mistakes, and the worst mistakes are the ones that cost others their lives, and how that can spit, you know, spiral into destroying you know, groups of people. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I think the way that this film leaves off, you know, Zemo did accomplish his goal. He broke the Avengers. He put a divide in the team. And now we get to deal with the aftermath of everything that's happened within this movie. Yep. So, in that aftermath, our buddy Rhodes gets a new set of legs, more or less. He gets some leg braces that allow him to walk, and he's still struggling. He requests some air conditioning in the next model. (laughs) And we get one of the best Stan Lee cameos of all time. Because you know, you know that Don Cheadle still will approach RDJ and go, Hey, Mr. Stank, how you doing? (laughs) Just, just to mess with him. (laughs) I've got a package from Tony Stank. Yep, this is Mr. Stank right here. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) Yep, yep. Oh, man. As he hobbles off. But it's a phone, and it's from Steve to Tony saying... Everything that's happened, I understand, and we did. I did break your trust, and you, know, you did what you thought you had to do, and I did what I thought I had to do. And just know that if you ever need anything or there is an emergency, this is how you can... Overlaid with him breaking out his, aven- his Avengers, because, you know, he's not going to leave his team behind. Yes. That's just not what Rogers does. Mm-hmm. So after he springs his buddies... Uh, we get to see Bucky. He's now sought asylum in Wakanda, which I think is just kind of a, a great arc, a great way to finish the story between between T'Challa and Bucky because there was that animosity and that mistaken identity. And I think T'Challa really wants to atone for his anger and for his misunderstanding and in order to better himself. And, and so Bucky ends up going back into cryogenesis so that he can heal from the brainwashing that's been done to him. He doesn't trust his mind and he's not going to be around other people until he can. And we get one last one with our Spider-Man before we move on to the next part of the show. Uh, he's exploring all the upgrades in this uh, this wonderful suit that Tony's built for him, especially the web shooters. Yeah. yeah. They do a real good job of setting up uh, Homecoming there, just with the, the classic Spider-Man uh, flashlight logo up on the on the ceiling and you know all the spinning apps around it like it was it was really well done and yeah that's and that's civil war uh it's one very big ride um i i do knock a point on the writing here because um the entire plot of the movie hinges on two things that bucky killed the starks and that Zemo knows that Stark doesn't know, but Rogers does and didn't tell him. So, like, what if, I don't know, Bucky hadn't been the one that killed them? Or what if Stark and Rogers had cleared the air beforehand, right? Like, the amount of luck that went into Zemo's entire plan of destroying the Avengers from the inside almost just doesn't exist without without significant movie shenanigans and plot devices to make it happen well and didn't we get the giant hydra information dump onto the internet from captain america the winter soldier is a ton of the information surrounding what caused the drama here just not public record now or did shield jump on it real quick and seal it because uh, and there's no shield yeah so So. that there's there's a lot there there were glaring issues with how Zemo came into this information, and then subsequently what he chose to do with this information. I mean, he accomplished his goal, but it it does seem 
it is extremely contrived to say that all of these things would have lined up perfectly for him in order to shatter the Avengers. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's the one, like, I, I call it the omnipotent villain uh, trope. It, it, like, he had to have this a grand amount of knowledge to make his plan work. That if any one of those pieces were even slightly out of place, the whole thing would have just fallen apart. Like, it's not just a plot hole, it's a house of cards. And I also, I mean, I know that Tony regrets what happened between him and his family, but I also feel like there would have been a conversation at some point, or at least just a knowledge, that Bucky was not himself when those events occurred. And even though it was him who committed that absolutely horrible murder, he's not himself and he's, you know, he was not the, he, that's not the guy. And, and yeah. that there's a knowledge of his brainwashing and, that I think Tony would have had. It's, it is very, it, it just seems very convenient. Yes, 100% on that. Like, Stark's upset about it, which he rightfully, you know, should, but real, he also knows the depths of Hydra's control, uh, the, the evil things that Hydra has done. He's been on the front lines. He knows that. Mm-hmm. And so to have, like, to have his murderous rage be so, uh, so you know, big to just overshadow all of that, so that so that he can try to kill Bucky, and we have Captain America and Iron Man fight it out, is is just a little bit contrived. For sure, but I think with that now, because we've stated a couple of times with this one that it is a Captain America film in name only, wrapped in pretty Avengers paper. It's also a Civil War movie. In name only. I, I want to hear your feelings on this because this is actually a storyline that I'm fairly familiar with as well because I was into comics by the time this movie came out. Sure. So uh, let's move into the mid-break so we can get to the comic book analysis. Alright, welcome to the mid-break. We'd like to thank everyone that has stuck with us this far and are a part of the Patreon. Big shout out to Penguin Ninja at our superhero tier. You too can join in on the fun by joining up via the link in the episode description. And if you can't support us financially, you can always drop us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. Any five-star reviews will get read out in this part of the show. We don't have one this week. Come on, guys. We are waiting to hear from you and super excited to have some more interaction. So leave some reviews. We'll read them out. And if you just want to talk with us directly, you can always hit us up on Twitter, uh, Insta, Facebook, and or the Robots Radio Discord, where we have a channel specifically for the show. A link for the Discord will be in the show description. And speaking of shows on the Robots Network, tell us about uh, Fight Space. Absolutely. So if you're not tired of hearing from me yet, I also host a little show called The Fight Space. It's one of the only female-led martial arts shows out there where I discuss the deep roots of martial arts in modern media, cover historical super fights, break down fight scenes in film, and share news from the fighting community. I use my experience training in combat sports to give a unique perspective into the shrouded worlds of martial arts and the people that call this space home. Where else can they find you, Site? You can find me on the Mass Effect Blue Shift podcast, a tabletop RPG that uses the Fate system. Uh, we play Citadel security agents solving crime on the Citadel. I play dashing human agent Jack Parizo. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Episodes drop monthly on the first Friday of the month. And that basically wraps it for our mid-break. Alright, so I've got two major characters that were introduced here. There were several other characters that were introduced, but I'm saving them for their uh, respective movies like a lot of the black panther supporting cast members that were here i'm saving that for black panther but we are going to talk about him real quick uh but first our main villain uh baron helmet zemo he was introduced as phoenix in captain america number 168 in december 1973 uh and later as baron zemo with a cameo in captain america 275 and a full appearance in number 276 in december 1982 by roy thomas tony isabella and sal busima now helmut is very much tied to his father heinrich zemo and his legacy helmut 
uh, sought revenge against Captain America for Heinrich's death in Avengers number 15, a death that he caused himself and was not actually Captain America's fault. Um, and during his initial fight, he was horribly scarred by the adhesive X compound that his father had been working on. And that's why he's depicted with that signature uh, purple stocked mask thing. That's, both, that's why both of them have it. Um, short of being a super soldier himself, he has a genius level intellect plus a mastery of combative tactics and weapons usage. Basically, he's the Nazi version to Captain America without being the Red Skull. It's amazing how many of Captain America's villains have genius level intellects and are also fantastic fighters. Like, where, where are all these guys in, you know, in the real world? <laughs> Um, they have a condition called CT. That's where they are. Ah, gotcha. Um, typically, repeated excessive head trauma leads you to not having the highest amounts of intellect. Um, yeah, go figure. Yeah, so it's unrealistic to expect the average population to be made up of horrendously amazing scientific minds who also happen to be the best hand-to-hand combatants on the face of the planet because, let's face it, I don't think you can accomplish becoming the best fighter in the world without receiving horrendous amounts of head trauma. <laughs> You're probably not, no. That's the real superpower, overcoming concussions and CT. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, so we will talk about more uh, Zemo uh, when we cover the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but this is just his like introductory part so you kind of get a feeling of where they started from versus uh what was presented which i did like what was presented uh burley's zemo you know removed from all of the hydra uh nazi crap basically i i appreciated just dropping all of that baggage and being like he's a fresh character here's how he fits into the mcu and just let him run amok. Like, it worked really well here. And I think he brought a very intense version to the role, because it would have been very easy to go to camp, even with this character being genius, scientist, whatever. Uh, with comic book villains, especially the more vague ones that you can use as filler, it, they, you, it becomes very easy to fall into big, scary, very smart villain does bad things because he can. And Mm-hmm. I think Daniel Poole did a good job bringing an intensity to the character, and despite the conveniences of his evil plans, I genuinely cared about why he was out for And I don't think I would have yes. had that without the emotion that Bull brought to the character. Yeah, uh, total agreement on that. So, yeah, like I said, we'll save, we'll save more Zemo for later. The other major character to talk about is... T'Challa, a.k.a. the Black Panther, introduced in Fantastic Four, number 52, in July 1966 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Black Panther is America's first black superhero, uh, as there were very few African or African-American heroes in comics, and none with superpowers up to this point. The name Black Panther predates the Black Panther Party by months like it was established in october of that of that year um and both creators swear there was no connection to uh other african-american movements at the time also funny enough both creators swear they are the sole creator considering the amount of controversy that surrounds lee's legacy as Kirby is not the only artist or writer that uh, had a conflicting account to who created what. I tend to support Kirby's version of events that he created Black Panther and Lee just was the writer on on the issue at the time. Which is kind of sad because when you think about Stan Lee and the legacy that he's left us, as we've discussed on this show multiple times, it's hard to say that Lee... Obviously, Lee is a human being at the end of the day, and he has he has his high points and his low points, and it does seem like in the creative world, he wasn't particularly the best person, which is a sad legacy to have, I say. As for the Panther himself, uh, he has a genius-level intellect, 
they all do. Um, superhuman senses and strength, uh, combat knowledge to rival and possibly even surpass Captain America, uh, plus an Avatar-like ability to pull on the experiences of previous Black Panthers, which we will discuss um, in his Black Panther movie when, when we get there. Um, after guesting in a couple comic book lines through the 60s, he was eventually brought onto the Avengers in number 52, where he would remain there for uh, several years. And that's that's kind of it for our, our two big, you know, uh, plot characters that were introduced in, for the movie here. I so love the power scaling model for Marvel Comics, where anyone that could surpass Captain America in hand-to-hand combat is abnormally good. That, that's the benchmark. Cap is the benchmark. So, like, we'll discuss Black Panther, but, like, some of his um, abilities are uh, mystic-based, bio-mystic-based or whatever, you know, by the ingesting of the um, that flower from Wakanda that grants him some of the better abilities. Um, it's, it wasn't so much that, I mean, Cap kind of is a benchmark in, when it comes to, like, hand-to-hand and everything because he's the perfect soldier and everyone else just tries to kind of live up to that uh to that standard i'd say um he just makes a good benchmark here for especially because of the movie i you know if we were talking about if we were talking about like a batman movie you know that would be the benchmark or something but anyway now let's talk about some comics because i've got not one but two comic books to t- talk about in relation to this movie. So first is the Civil War comic. Comic that started all of this. We're missing some people. Very much. Okay, so <laughs> first and foremost, the book has, like, it's, it is a crossover event, okay? Um, and it deals with all kinds of heroes and villains, C-listers all the way up through, you know, our top tier people choosing sides for this thing and duking it out in the streets of America and across the world sometimes. Um, the movie was much more a pared down, we're just going to have the Avengers kind of fight amongst themselves. Whereas the Civil War comic was was kind of a war between all the vigilantes of at least America fighting each other. So written by Mark Miller and art done by Steve McNiven, uh, plus a whole creative team uh, and editors book was published between July, 2006 and January, 2007. It's very much about uh, the American government keeping tabs on people by using tech that the laws just can't keep up with kind of stuff. Um, but in this case, it's turned up to 11 with the Superhuman Registration Act, which uh, was designed to be like, if you were a person of powers, you signed this thing and said, I am so-and-so, my superpower is this, my code name is this, and then you would have been assigned a team to work in America, and you would have been property of the U.S. government, sort of like the draft. Obviously, this thing was pulled from uh, the mutant. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Obviously, this thing was pulled from the ashes of the Mutant Registration Act, which was designed to just have you know John Q. Citizen who can shoot laser beams out of his face uh, tagged and and kept track of. That's basically what this was on a grander scale. Uh, <clears throat> so you've got Cap opposing it. Uh, because he doesn't trust a politician. Go figure. Um, this falls kind of after the events of uh, Secret War, which Nick Fury oversaw, and was also one of the reasons why Nick Fury had disappeared from the uh, uh, world table at large. Maria Hill was acting director of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the time, and her no-nonsense attitude was actually one of the big off-putting things for Cap and several heroes overall to stop working with S.H.I.E.L.D. and drew another line in the sand for the Superhuman Registration Act. Uh, So yeah, Cap didn't agree with this thing, but guess who is supporting it? 
Iron Man and other smart heroes. Because the thing that really kicked it all off was an incident in Hartford, Connecticut, where a new team of superheroes trying to, like, basically kind of start a web series, uh, kind of a uh, reality TV kind of thing. They saw super villains and decided to attack them and try to take them in. And their fight bled over into a school, an elementary school. And the supervillain, his name was Nitro, he went kaboom. He was on a mutant growth hormone, which amped his powers up significantly. And Hartford, Connecticut Elementary School was ground zero for the death of about 600 people. Mostly kids. As Americans, we all know what happens when something like that uh, <clears throat> kicks us kind of into gear. And so people were just clamoring for something to do with superhero people. Like, they could not be allowed to just run amok anymore and, you know, inadvertently get kids or other people killed. That had to stop. So I get it. I do. And so we, we have a decent setup. Where the bo <clears throat> Where the book falls short is after the SRA is put into effect. The pro-reg side starts acting like just classic villains as they leave behind annoying things like ethics and due process. Mr. Fantastic creates a clone of Thor, uh, as the real one was considered dead during these events after Ragnarok happened, and they create Prison 42 in the negative zone for super criminals, which you just get sent to because you have powers. No trial, no lawyer, no nada. You just get knocked the heck out, tossed into a portal, and thrown into a cell in another dimension. Congratulations. Here's your home. So, yeah, the anti-reg side can't abide by that at all. And we have kind of a big throwdown, which is a, it was a trap set by Stark and others to get the anti-reg side to come in and act like heroes. They faked a nuclear plant malfunction meltdown and drew them out during the fight the thor clone killed bill foster aka goliath while he was in his uh like 40 foot version and that was when the line in the sand became a line in blood for everyone like even the pro rag side sort of beginning to realize that they made a mistake like their friends weren't supposed to die for this. Anti-Reg side wouldn't see eye to eye with them ever again. Like, even even today, some of the events of what happened here still kind of carry through in the undercurrents of, of conversations. They decided to play uh, basically cop to their friends, and one of them died. Now, eventually, uh, so, I'm sorry. So that scene is what is played out in the German airport with War Machine getting blasted out of the air. That's that's the parallel there. Eventually, the book ends with Cap surrendering, the anti-reg side going underground, and then Cap is assassinated at the hands of Crossbones on the you know very public steps out in the open. And another reason this book isn't particularly well-liked is because it sets up one more day one of the most reviled Spider-Man books in comic book history. Because Parker got talked into joining the pro-registration side. A hero whose entire antithesis has been keeping his identity secret decides, okay, it's time for me to come clean. And he unmasks himself on national television, almost giving JJJ a freaking heart attack. Um... But it also paints a target on his wife at the time, Mary Jane, and his Aunt May. And she takes a bullet for him, inadvertently. And so One More Day is all about him undoing that, basically. So, yeah, there's reason that this book is kind of like a low point in the mid-aughts for Marvel overall, I say, at least. Now, I've talked for probably about ten minutes. What are your thoughts, Shanko? So when they announced that they were doing Civil War, 
it surprised me a little bit that they were releasing it as a Captain America film because it felt very much like it should have been an Avengers film. And I said at the beginning of this one that I felt that way, that this was an Avengers film in disguise. It's a Captain America film in name only. And while Captain America is one of the main characters in the Civil War storyline from the comics, he isn't the only party. And to make it this way, I think was unfair. And it completely skewed what this story was meant to be. I think now, and I think too, they could have done this movie without labeling it as Civil War. They could have changed a few things around with with how they made the movie. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. But they could make Civil War now that we have access to all of the characters that would make this a little bit more compelling. Because I think keeping it within the team that we know, even with giving us Black Panther and a little bit more Ant Man bringing us spider-man like that's that's all great but what they gave us was like the tip of the iceberg whereas in the comics we are getting all the teams and all the characters and i feel like the gallery was just too small to truly call it a civil war adaptation uh yes i i, I, I yeah i wholly agree with that um he, i mean we spend half the movie introducing at least three of the major players in the civil war here and so like really the the german airport scene feels more like just an excuse to have all of the major characters up to that point in the phase just duking it out rather than having it be uh, uh, a much better narrative reason to have done it later to have the avengers splitting literally like right now we're just talking about an an ideological difference but really what we're talking about is the innocence of one man, Bucky Barnes. Like, it's played against the backdrop of the Sokovia Accords, but really that plot point gets dropped by the time when we introduce the Winter Soldier aspect of it and we blow up the uh, signing at Vienna. Like, that whole bit just goes away. It doesn't matter anymore. It was there to set up an excuse to draw out the Winter Soldier. Yeah, and then, you know, st- and I want to say this, too, is that, yeah, Tony signed the Accords, but what does Tony go on to do almost immediately after signing the Accords? He goes on to violate the Accords several times in order to accomplish the mission, which is Cap's whole point to begin with. Yep. Uh, yep. 100%. Yep. So, yeah, like, it's... We really could have done something else, I, I feel like. It definitely could have been called almost anything else, and it would have worked. Listen, they tried to fake us out before they announced that this was Civil War and they were going to make Serpent Society. And you know what? I was freaking stoked. Mmm, yes. I remember those rumors. It lasted about a whole half second on the internet. But yes, I remember that. Serpent Society would have been awesome. But it's also probably would have been too much of a derivative for where the phase was trying to go. Because the whole phase is setting up all the other heroes so that we can move on into... Endgame. Um, so Marvel could have just given me the the elevator fight scene on loop for an hour and a half, and I would have paid ticket to see it. Okay, look, uh, Marvel can't make money off of just you. <laughs> they can try, uh, but anyway, yeah, we can tr- yeah. Um, so yeah, that yeah, it's Civil War in name only, and it's a Captain America movie in name only, and that's not a great place to be. For the narrative and all of that is the only reason I put it a little bit above, you know, middle ground. Because it is compelling drama. It's just contrived a little bit. It tried too hard. It just tried. It tried too hard. It didn't just let things happen. Yes. Yes. So, the other comic book I wanted to talk about real fast, because I I know we're going over on this one, but that's okay. The other one is uh, Civil War Two, and if you thought the first one sucked, guess what? <laughs> this book was made literally to sell books to go with the movie's release. Uh, created by Brian Michael Bendis and David Marquez, it pits Avenger against Avenger over the inhuman precog Ulysses. He can see the future. Uh, so... It's got themes uh, running very much in the vein of Minority Report, which, if you wanted that, you could just go 
read Minority Report or just go watch Minority Report. You know, this book didn't even need to exist, but whatever. Um, we've now got Captain Marvel, Carol, and Tony coming to blows over how heroes should respond to crisis and and all of that. Like, if we know about it ahead of time, why aren't we stopping it beforehand? It's the whole determinism versus free will, all that. Like, basically, it's Minority Report. Just go watch that. Um, so yeah, it's only here because the movie was being made and they needed a book to sell along with it. And I'm going to say it did <laughs> less for Marvel and it did even less for the continuity overall. Like, even to this day, Danvers and Stark don't like each other because Stark was an idiot through, like, more than half of that book. Yeah, I remember when they announced Civil War 2 and then I remember when the books started dropping. And I got a promo poster of Cap fighting Black Panther, and I thought it was cool. So I hung it up for a little while, and then the book came out, and I was just kind of disappointed. Mm-hmm. You and several other thousand other Marvel readers. I mean, to be fair, not much can disappoint me more than Hail Hydra. Oh, I'm so glad we don't have to talk about that. Like, we'll probably mention it at some point, but we don't have to talk about that. I just did. It doesn't need to come up again. I just mentioned it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, that is that is it for the lore side that I had. Um, do you have any uh, final thoughts on that, Shanko? I really, I really don't think so. I think there was a lot said about this film, and I think I might have gotten it all out. But where are we heading next? Uh, next week, we're going to pick up on the trail that started in this one and we're going to head to wakanda to talk about the black panther very exciting oh yeah so catch us next week for that and have a good night everyone night everyone as we all know when it comes to making a movie there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen and it is no different when making a podcast Welcome to the credit section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. N7 Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration. Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us. Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork. Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music. Our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this. And you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man... Enough said. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.